Well, today is a day of new things. We have a new children's talk series. We have a new preaching series in our evening services, starting this evening, going through the book of Philippians, uh, looking at finding joy in Jesus. So I'd encourage you to come uh, this evening and uh, to join us as we go through the book of Philippians together. And then this morning we have a new series starting, new preaching series in the book of Revelation. And before we start, I thought it might be helpful to give a little bit of background to the book of Revelation. Um, As I go through this, if there are other questions that you think might be helpful to answer, let me know. And uh, over the weeks I can do that. Or if you think that there's something I haven't really explained very well, um, I think I might have done, but you might not think I've done, which means I probably haven't done. Uh, please do let me know and I can have a rethink and explain it more helpfully. So we have the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. So right at the very end of the Bible. Who wrote it? It's a great question to ask. Uh, It's quite clear from the beginning, we're going to see as we look through, that it's a letter, in its essence, written by God. But the human author is John the Apostle. It's the same John that wrote John's Gospels, and the same John who wrote 1, 2, and 3 John. Uh, So there's his other books in the New Testament. It's the John who was the disciple of Jesus and the brother of James, one of the sons of Zebedee. That's who wrote this book. When was it written? There are two dates. The more popular one is the end of the first century, 90 to 95 AD, Um, possibly earlier, though, in the 60s AD. There's um, several arguments for that earlier date. Those kinds of things don't necessarily matter, um, but it's helpful to sort of know when it was written. At the time it was written, John is in exile on the island of Patmos. He's been sent there because he's a believer in the Lord Jesus. We read that in verse 9 of chapter 1. And the sort of widest picture at the the time, uh, John is living in the Roman Empire. If it's the later date, the more popular date, Domitian is uh, Caesar at the time. If it's earlier, Nero is the Caesar at the time. Both of them were particularly harsh rulers. They were despotic rulers. They saw themselves as God and demanded that everybody worship them. And they acted violently to those who didn't fall into line. So quite a tricky time to be a Christian and to say you worship God and not the idols of the day. So that was when it was written. What is the book about? What's Revelation about? Those of you who maybe have um, been in church for a while or, or, or read things about the book of Revelation wouldn't be surprised that there are different opinions on what the book of Revelation is about. There are different ways of looking at it. Uh, here are two of the most popular ones. There are other ones. Uh, one opinion is that the book of Revelation is predominantly about the future. The futurist view. Chapters 2 to 3, we have letters to churches. Well, that's for today. And everything onwards from chapter 4 is like a timeline of the events that will surround Christ's return. That's one view of the book of Revelation. 
As we go through, you'll see I don't think that is the right view of the book of Revelation. I don't want to say that too dogmatically because it gets a bit tricky to make absolute statements, but I don't think that's the helpful view of it. The view that I think, and we're going to look at it from, is the historist view. That's the technical name. That the book of Revelation describes human history from the cross of Jesus to the return of Jesus. So as we go through, we'll see that it talks about what's going on now, but with an eye looking forward to the future. That might be best explained if we go to the next slide. How is it structured? Um, I read a commentary by a guy called Wilcox, Michael Wilcox, who I think was really helpful on this. If you want to get it, it's the Bible Speaks Today commentary. Um, and he, he actually does eight, I think there's seven, seven parallel visions throughout the book of Revelation that cover the time from the cross to eternity, and then they cycle back and cover the time from the cross to eternity. So Revelation isn't a linear timeline that begins here and ends over here, but we actually cycle through that time seven times. Um, this is the structure from the TBT leaflet that I wrote on Revelation. So that's available on the website if you want to go to it. It's in resources and then TBT, and then we've got an outline of every book of the Bible there. So uh, get that if you want to have a look at it. We'll pick that up later. But I think it's important to have this picture of Revelation not as a single linear timeline that runs from beginning to end, but we keep going back to the beginning and going through to the end, and then back to the beginning and going through to the end, which is why as we go through, we end in eternity several times as we we go through. That hopefully will become clearer as we work our way through. And then the the last question in a kind of background to Revelation, why does it seem so strange? If you've ever looked at Revelation, you might think, what is this all about? It's a book of prophetic visions. You may have heard the word apocalyptic literature referring to Revelation. It's not strictly apocalyptic literature. That's a particular type of literature that was around before Christ that was very pessimistic about the future. And Revelation is not pessimistic about the future. So it's not strictly apocalyptic literature. It's more akin to what we read in Ezekiel and what we read to the second half of Daniel and some other parts of writings of the Old Testament prophets. Two things to note about it. One, it's a book of symbolic pictures that teach straightforward truth. And hopefully as we would go through, we'll see that the truth it's teaching is straightforward. There's these big pictures, but the truth is straightforward. And the second thing to note is that like all biblical prophecy there is the option for multiple fulfillments. Let me give you one example. Jesus was asked when the end of time would come, and he answered, but with an answer that speaks of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, but at the same time speaks of the return of Jesus. Multiple fulfillments. 
And as we go through, we'll see some of these visions have fulfillments back in the first century, but also fulfillments today, and then fulfillments when we come to the return of Christ as well. There's not a singular fulfillment of all the things that take place in Revelation. So again, as I say, if there's other questions that come to you as you work your way through, please let me know and I'll try and answer them. If there's anything there that um, doesn't sound straightforward or doesn't become clear as we work our way through Revelation, please say and we can try and address that too. Let's turn now to the book of Revelation and we're going to read the first chapter together. And then we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 3. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, whatever he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the rulers of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has set us free from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. We're going to stop there. Let's pray before we look at God's word. Father, help us as we dive into your word this morning. Will you show us yourself? Will you show us something of the themes of this book of Revelation? Encourage us in Jesus. And Lord, cause us to pray as we look at this book together. Amen. What's the first film you ever watched at the cinema? You can call out. What's the first film you ever watched at the cinema? Dumbo. Dumbo, okay. Chariots of Fire. The Goonies. There was okay, and there's one down here. Little Mermaid. One more, Henry. William will tell. Super Mario. For me, this gives my age. It was E.T. It was my sister's birthday, I believe, and I was six years old. I didn't go to the cinema after that until I was a teenager, 
Um, so cinema wasn't really an experience that I was used to. And I was a bit upset when I was a teenager and I went to the cinema and the lights dimmed and the curtain drew, but it wasn't time for the film yet. There were 10 minutes, 15 minutes of trailers to wade through. Now I want you to think about a film trailer for a moment. What is it? A film trailer is a short clip of a film or, or a mashup of clips of a film that is designed to get your attention, to draw you in, to hook you so that you want to go and watch the film in the cinema or buy it on DVD or, 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 or rent it or, or see it on the streaming service. That, that's what it's designed to do, to get your attention, to draw you in and to hook you so you want to watch that film. Revelation chapter 1, 1 to 3, does that for the book of Revelation. That's what it's designed for. Not because God has gone to his marketing division and worked out the best way of making us read Revelation because he gets paid for the reads of this book. That's not what this is about. The reason he wants to grab our attention is because the book of Revelation is given to us to do us good. It's here for our good. And today, what I want us to do at the end, by the end of this, hopefully, Lord willing, is to come away with a sense of the themes of the book, but also an anticipation and an excitement that breeds a desire to pray that God would do that good in our hearts as we walk through this book together. And the reason why I want us to, to focus that on that is because I think for many of us, the book of Revelation is a fearful thing. It's a scary book. It's been one that we've been conditioned to think has nothing or little to do with us. And if we were to read it, we wouldn't get much out of it. So I want to kind of change that mindset this morning and see that this is for our good from God and we should be excited about looking at the book of Revelation. So we look at these first three verses. I think there are six reasons here why we need to go through Revelation. Six reasons why we should be excited about going through Revelation. The first is this. It's a message from God. That should immediately make us excited about coming to the book of Revelation because it's a message from God. Look at verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him. Where's the origin of this message? It's God. It's God the Father. This is a book that has come from the throne of God into history, into our lives, to us today, that we might read it, Listen to it, learn from it, grow from it, that his grace might be poured out in our hearts. It's a message from God. Of course, that's something that's true of the whole Bible, isn't it? Not just Revelation at the end, it's true of every book in the Bible. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is inspired 
by God. Or literally, the the metaphor there is, all scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God. If you think about the mechanics of talking, what's going on when you talk? Well, you move your mouth, and you make shapes with your tongue, and that kind of shapes the sounds that come out. But that's not where talking begins. Talking begins down here in your lungs. It's as you expel the air, the words are formed. And that's the picture. The the breath that forms these words is God's breath. The whole of the Bible is a message from God. That means that as we read this book, we aren't reading a book of human ideas. I'm so thankful for that. Because human ideas are limited. That doesn't mean that there's no good in them, but they are limited. Because none of us, no matter how clever we are, none of us knows everything. None of us understands everything. And none of us can change everything. I was reminded of that this week. I've been reading a book by Nick Needham. Um, It's the the last one in his series looking at church history. And he's looking at the Age of Enlightenment and he focused for one chapter on the French Revolution and some of the ideas behind the French Revolution and how it expressed what was going on in the world and in thinking at that time in history. And I was struck by how many of the ideas of the French Revolution are actually in the ideas of how we think a country should run today and the democracy that we we think is important. And and over the last hundred years, we've been encouraging around the world. I'll leave it to you to determine whether the ideas of the French Revolution made France and Europe and the world a better place or not. It's not my role to comment on politics. But one thing that struck me as I read through was that the people who were putting forward these ideas for the French Revolution believed passionately that if they were implemented, France and Europe and the world would become a utopian society, a paradise. And it's quite clear from history that that did not happen. Why? Because human ideas are limited. We don't know everything. We don't understand everything. We can't change everything, but God does know everything. God does understand everything, and God can change everything. And what we have in this book are his words, not the words of people. Whether we're talking about the Bible as a whole or the book of Revelation, it's worth going through it because this is real wisdom. David, in his Psalm 119, he writes this, I have more insight than all my teachers because your decrees, your words, O God, are my meditation." Why should we be excited about Revelation? Why should we come and look at this book together? Because it's a message from God. Secondly, because it's a message owned by Jesus. Because it's a message owned by Jesus. Look at those first words of verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. 
What does the word of mean in that statement? In English, there are three possibilities. It could mean the revelation about Jesus Christ. But in Greek, and the commentators agree on that, that is not a possibility because of the way it's formed. That's something unique to English because we don't have the genitive set, uh, tense on things. So it's not the revelation about. Revelation is a book about Jesus. We're going to see that, but that's not what this statement is saying. So it's not about. It could be the revelation from Jesus Christ. Again, that's unlikely because the very next statement is that it's come from the Father. So the origin is the Father. It would seem strange to also say the origin is Jesus because there's a flow from the Father to Jesus through the angel to John to us. There's a flow through these verses. The other possibility is that this is indicating possession. It's a revelation that has been given to Jesus for him to possess. And that seems the most likely understanding of the words here. It is a revelation owned by Jesus. Now, you might be thinking, maybe you're not thinking, but I was certainly thinking, well, okay, if that's what it says, what does it mean? Why is that important? What are we being told here in the very first words of this book? Well, I think we have a clue when we turn to Revelation 5, verse 5. Here, we're seeing the throne of God. We're told about a scroll, a scroll which is sealed up but contains the words of this revelation. And, and as it's open, these things come to pass. But John is crying because no one can open it. No one can bring this about. Nobody can make it happen. But then in verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And then John turns and he sees a lamb that was slain. This is Jesus, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, the King of Kings, the Saviour on the cross. And he is able to open this scroll and bring about the things that are said and spoken of in the Revelation. What's that teaching us about Jesus? He's in charge. He's the one who determines when these things happen. He's the one who determines how they happen. He's the one who determines when they finish. He's the one who sits on the throne and has his hand on the tiller of history. You see, who's in charge today? Who's in charge of what takes place? Who's in charge of the history of nations? Who's in charge of the future? The claim at the time that this book was written was that it was Caesar who was in charge. Domitian or Nero, depending on which date you take. They were the ones who held history in their hands. 
For today, maybe for some, it's Putin or Zelensky who are making that claim. Israel or Palestine, the oil barons of the Middle East, the politicians, the IT giants, whoever it is who are making this this claim to hold the future in their hands. The book of Revelation says no. Right from the beginning, Jesus is the one who holds history in his hands. Jesus, the loving saviour who conquered sin and death and Satan, he's the one who reigns over every event that has taken place and that will take place. And one of the biggest messages of the book of Revelation to us is that whatever is going on, whatever mess we see, and we'll see some of that mess as we walk through the book of Revelation, Jesus is on the throne. It's a message owned by Jesus. Thirdly, it's a message for us. It's a message from God. That should excite us. It's a message owned by Jesus. The seeing that should, should uh, thrill us. And it's a message for us. Us here today. As we live in Whittlesea and the surrounding regions, as we meet together each week, this is a message for us. The revelation of Jesus Christ that God gave him to show his servants. Who are his servants? His followers. Those who believe in Jesus. If I was to ask you the question, who do you think would enjoy the book of Revelation? You might think of sort of two groups of people. One, we could give the title the theological elite. The people who like bandying around ideas, who are kind of clever in theology, but maybe not very practical. And the second group... Those with a specific interest in future things. Those who maybe you think are a bit kooky. I I remember there was a meeting in Swansea where we used to be before we moved here. Uh, It happened about four times a year. Um, It was organised and it was a regular meeting to consider uh, future prophecies and how they would be fulfilled. And there was a very particular crowd of people who went to that meeting. They had a particular set of interests in prophecy in the Bible. And some of them you might have considered be a bit odd. And so, in our minds, maybe Revelation is for one of those two groups of people. And because we don't fit into it, Maybe you do think you fit into one of those groups, I don't know. But because we don't fit into it, we don't think Revelation is for us. Can I ask you a question? Who is God thinking of as he gives us this book? Who is God intending to read the pages and words of Revelation? Look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches in Asia... Here's who it's addressed to. Who are the seven churches? They're the church in Ephesus, the church in Smyrna, 
the church in Pergamon, the church in Thyatira, the church in Sardis, the church in Philadelphia, the church in Laodicea. We don't know too much about those churches except for the church in Ephesus. And what we know about the church in Ephesus was it was a church of normal people like you and me of ordinary people, of all kinds of Christians, with all kinds of different particular interests. And God says from the beginning, he wrote this book for churches like this one. Ordinary churches filled with ordinary Christians. This is a message for us. I think it's important to grasp that at the beginning of our journey through because Revelation contains some strange things. It contains some things that we'll be looking at and go, whoa, what is that all about? God doesn't want us to leave those things to other people. He wants us to wrestle with them in prayer. And that by the Spirit we might be enlightened and understand what he's saying and grow in him through it because these are words for us, not just for others. There's a message for us. The fourth reason why we should be excited or or we should see the need of going through Revelation, it's a message in pictures. It's a message in pictures. Look at verse 2. John is describing this this flow from uh, the Father to the Son through the angel to John, and he writes it down. He testified, the angel testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, or John testified to it, whatever he, what did he say? Saw. I want you to notice, he doesn't say whatever he heard, whatever he saw. The way that this message was communicated to John was not an oral message that he then wrote down. God spoke, he wrote. God spoke, he wrote. It was a picture message which John then describes. God showed, John describes. God shows, John describes. Now, it's fair to say Revelation is a different type of literature to what we are used to. The New Testament contains letters. We understand letters. They're kind of like emails for those of you who haven't sent letters, just a bit more formal. We understand that. That's part of daily life. We've been taught that at school. We've been taught how to write letters. We've read letters. We've been taught how to understand them. It's something that is a common diet in church life, going through the letters. We know that. We're used to that. Or much of the Bible is historical, recording history. Again, we know that, we understand that, we we get that. And much of the Bible is poems or songs. Well, we listen to songs all the time. We looked at poems for GCSE or O-levels. But the book of Revelation is different from that. It's not something we're used to. But can I say different doesn't necessarily equate to more difficult. Different doesn't necessarily equate to more difficult. I remember being in a a preacher's training session with a man called Paul Mallard, a preacher and pastor and writer. Some of you may have heard of him. And he was teaching on preaching and he brought up the book of Revelation. And uh, he was 
talking to us about reasons why we shouldn't be afraid to preach through the book of Revelation. And he asked a question. I'm paraphrasing. This isn't exact, exact words, but the question is his question. What type of book do we give to children who are just starting to read? What type of book? Those of you maybe can remember when you were starting to read. What type of book were you given? Was it a book with pages covered with words? Or was it a book full of pictures? It's an obvious answer, isn't it? It's the pictures. We give picture books to people who are starting out, and then we progress onto words. Well, what do we have when we come to the book of Revelation? God's picture book. In one sense, we could make an argument that Revelation should be the easiest book to understand in the Bible because it's full of pictures. And that's where we start when we're wanting to teach people how to read. I want to encourage you with this. Revelation isn't as difficult as it looks. That doesn't mean that there aren't difficult things in Revelation. There are difficult things in Romans and and in, in the Gospels and in other books in the Bible. Of course there are difficult things in the book of Revelation. But it is not as difficult as it looks. I couldn't remember the exact quote because I couldn't find it back again, but one of the commentaries that I read on, on the book of Revelation talked about um, the incident in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, C.S. Lewis's, one of C.S. Lewis's Narnia books, where Lucy, um, the little girl, is in the magician's house and she opens a book and she goes through it. And then when she shuts it, she forgets all the details. But in her mind are the pictures... And in one sense, when we come away from Revelation, it's the pictures that are still in our mind that are the things that matter. We might forget some of the details, but we might not know what everything means, but the pictures, Christ on the throne, the church kept and preserved and safe. Yeah, all of this mess going on, but it's going towards eternity. These are the pictures that carry the message of Revelation. It's a message in pictures. It's not as hard as we think. Fifthly, the fifth reason why we should be excited and why we should study Revelation together. It's a message we need. It's a message we need. The revelation of Jesus Christ, this is verse 1, that God gave him to show his servant, us, what must be soon take place. There's a reason for this book. There's a reason for these visions. What is it? God knew that difficult stuff is going to happen in this world and in our lives. And God wants the church to understand what's going on and be confident in their faith in Jesus as they live through it. That's the intention of the book of Revelation, to understand what is going on in all the difficult stuff that is happening, that we might be confident in faith in Jesus as we live through it. Yeah, we could go to different countries in the world, and we probably will do as we go through and see how Satan is at work, how the uh, authorities are persecuting the church. 
But, but in reality, there's plenty in our own country that we can point to where that is happening. For some of you, you've seen over a lifetime, I know I've seen in my lifetime, Christianity move from something that's respected nearer the heart. Those of you who know me will know that I think the whole idea of Britain being a Christian nation ever is completely erroneous, but um, because the Christianity that was at the centre for much of history has got no correlation to the Bible. But um, we were more respected way back. Christian things were spoken of openly. And we've known in our lifetime that completely changed. And now we find ourselves very much at the edge of society. Scared to mention biblical morality because we might lose our job or something like that. There's been a shift. That's not easy. That's hard. God gave us the book of Revelation so that we might understand what's going on and be confident in our faith as we live through it. And I want you to notice that The reason here is not a future reason. It's something that will happen soon and something that the time is near. I think this is one of the reasons why the futurist, the chapter 4 onwards being all about the return of Jesus, doesn't make sense. I think there's something to um, kind of explain there if that's your view. But if we have this historist view that the book of Revelation is about now looking towards the future, then it's soon and the time is near makes sense. This is not just about future events. It's about what's going on today. We need the truths of this book. We're lacking in our understanding if we don't know the truths of this book. God wants us to understand what's going on in history and to be confident of our faith in Jesus as we live through it. It's a message we need. And then sickly, it's a message for our good. Look at verse 3. This is so clear. Blessed or happy is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed or happy are those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep what is written in it. Now there's a, a context here in those words. So if we think back to the first, uh, first churches that received this, how was this letter delivered to them? Well, it was delivered uh, on parchment, delivered to them, and then in their meetings, that parchment, that scroll was unrolled, and somebody stood up the front and read these words to the congregation. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And then the congregation, blessed are those who hear the words of this prophecy, but not just hear, keep what is written in it. Think of Jesus' parable about the wise and the foolish builders. The foolish person is the person who hears but doesn't keep. The wise person is the person who hears and does what God says. There's a practical impact of these words in our lives. I want us just to think about that term blessed for a moment. As we go through Revelation, we should be blessed. As we read it, we should be blessed. 
That means for me, we're reading it wrong if all we do is argue. If we argue about what does this mean, what does that mean, how does that... We're reading it wrong because that's not a blessing. There's a place for discussion in order to build each other up, but not for angry arguments. And the book of Revelation can often bring us to angry arguments. Secondly, we're reading it wrong if we get caught up in the details. So later we're going to come across the mark of the beast, 666. I've read so many articles uh, that try and work out how the mark of the beast is going to be implemented on people. Maybe it's in your credit cards. Uh, Maybe there's going to be some chip that's implanted to you where its serial number has 666, or that's how it's described. Or maybe it's going to be tattooed on some way. And you go into all these these, these arguments or, or discussions about the details. That's not a blessing, though. We can get so caught up in the details that we miss. If we get there, what's the big point of the chapter there? That God is combating the work of the beast through the preaching of the gospel and Jesus will be victorious. That's the blessing. Thirdly, we're reading the book of Revelation wrong if we leave afraid. If we find ourselves fearful. Have you ever had that situation where you're reading a book uh, before bed and it's a little bit scareful, there's scary, there's, there's suspense and you close it and you get scared in the dark and you have bad dreams at night. The book of Revelation is a gift of grace, not a sick joke from God. He did not give it to fill us with fear. He gave it to fill us with confidence as we see Christ on the throne, ruling history. Christ who gave himself for us. Christ who loves us more than we can ever imagine. And Christ who promises that we will be with him in eternity. I want to ask you to pray as we go through Revelation. Pray today. Please pray over the weeks. Please pray every Sunday morning before we come together. I I think that should be our practice anyway. Because we're not meeting as a like-minded group of individuals coming to have a club together. We're, We're meeting to hear from God, to know him better. We need him to speak to us. Pray for me, please, as I study Revelation for understanding, for clarity, for helpfulness. And where there are things where it's not clear, what does it mean? Help me to to know the right way to put that across. Help me to point to the main themes, particularly to point to Christ each week. I pray, um, ask that you would pray as I speak that I might make sense. That's not a given on a Sunday morning. And that as I go through, I won't get caught up on the little things and sidetracked on the things that don't matter, but clear focus on Christ, the one who does. 
But particularly, I want us to pray that God will bless us as we go through the book of Revelation. That he will give us an understanding of the times in which we live and what's going on. That he will show us Christ on the throne. That he will fill us with our hope for the future and strengthen our faith in Jesus. That's the blessing that God intends for everyone who reads and keeps the words of this book. Let's pray that he will do that. Father, help us as we work our way through the book of Revelation. Will you speak to us each week through it? Will you guide us and show us the meaning of these visions and how they apply in our lives? Will you show us what is going on in the world? And particularly, Lord, that even in all of the messiness that we see, Christ is on the throne. That his rule, that nothing and no one can topple that. Help us to see that there is an eternity coming when all things will be made right. And and as you do so, take out the tent pegs that hold us in our minds to, to this life and want and desire this life and give us a desire for life with Jesus in eternity. And Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we wouldn't be knocked off track with Jesus but that we would walk with him and in your strength share in his victory in eternity. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.